Hey everybody, welcome to episode 6, season 2 of Reporting as Eligible. Um, I'm Paul Noonan, right for Acme Packing Company, do the Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast, uh, and we have uh, another, you know, fun, excellent show. The Packers destroyed another opponent. Um, we are a little shorthanded tonight due to some things that came up with Matt, but I, we do have our normal co-host in, in urban Wauwatosa. <laughs> yes, it's J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. You know, something just dawned on me because Matub's not here. He calls himself a meme smith, which I love that title. I love it. But should it actually be meme weaver? <laughs> <laughs> it should it should definitely be meme weaver it it works so much better i think it should be meme weaver yes um <laughs> i think it, it it's easy to sing uh i think it fits his personality well i think he should i mean i love meme smith i don't i don't i hate that we have to take some take that out but i really think meme weaver is where it's at i think when matub comes back we're going to tell him that that's his new title i think that's a good idea it, it, it can be like an upgrade like you've you've gained enough experience points as a meme smith and you are now upgraded to a meme weaver. More powerful, more charisma, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I think it's true. We, we have yes, to, kind of like a wizard. Exactly. We have to insist on it. Um, especially, he, he's been doing a lot of work lately, too. He deserves an upgrade. He, uh, he's, he's been cranking out memes. There's like a lot of... Uh, it's true, but you know when, when a team is 4-0, when they're playing as well as the Green Bay Packers are, there is content out there, and people are going to consume it. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, last week's episode of Reporting is Eligible is by far most listened to episode we've ever had is that accurate that is accurate i don't know what happened um thanks everybody for listening but yes we had we had way more listeners than we've ever had before way more downloads so um super glad to see that we we put a lot of work in so um it's, it's nice when people start to show up it always helps when the packers are actually good it's much more fun to talk about um and i think people are always looking for like their next show to relive um, the game that they experienced and all the good feelings too. So um, that's why I like doing Shout it. Shout out to you, man, because you certainly don't tune in to listen to me not be smart about football. So uh, <laughs> shout out to you and, and your, your football knowledge and uh, your, <laughs> the, the seeming, seemingly you came away with a W when the, uh, when you were talking about the, the uh, need for the team to have still drafted a wide receiver and that it was still a missed opportunity and you got yelled at quite frequently by those <laughs> hashtag online and still uh, you came away looking good because the you know there wasn't a, even though the team did fine and didn't need a wide receiver really because Aaron Rodgers is on another level you know the, the draft class hasn't really done much yet so uh, there's still some some arguing some uh, you know, some some ground that you have there that they maybe kind of could have gone a different direction with the draft but yeah. I don't know I'm just spitballing here uh, yeah I, I think that's it's still true. Like they're they're dynamite. They're playing great. I I think we should give actually more credit to Matt Lafleur than maybe we have. I mean, not that we've been not giving him credit, but his schemes have been just off the charts great lately. And the fact that they were able to score so easily without Devonte Adams and Lazard yesterday, and just hit like pass after pass to tight ends, running backs. The, the tight ends and running backs caught every target. Uh, the the only people that didn't catch passes were wide receivers. So. Um, great game plan, but at some point, some team is going to be able to cover tight ends and running backs, and you are going to need receivers. And um, it, you know, it, MVS he, he's fine, but he's not that good. And if you got to go down to Darius Shepard, who again did not have a great game in another chance to actually play, um, it, it gets rough. So 
I do wish. And by the way, also some of the other some of the receivers that were drafted, I was getting a lot of like, well, this guy's not doing so good. Well, they're starting to do good now. Like Justin Jefferson, I think is second in DVOA, and he was the highest graded PFF receiver this week. CD Lamb has been very good for the Cowboys. If you didn't see Brandon Ayuk's hurdle in the 49ers game, he jumped over a guy. I urge you to go see <laughs> it. Like, Ayuk. There have been a lot of good hurdles out in, in in football over time, but I'm not sure I've ever seen one like so like Spider-Man spontaneous, like just last second like shoot up in the air over a guy. It was great. Um so dude was half upright too. That wasn't a guy falling to the ground. He jumped over a guy that was I mean that was a feat of athleticism. Yep, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. <laughs> it was it was a really <laughs> amazing play. So um, those rookie receivers, yeah, they didn't have any training camp. They're they didn't contribute right away for a lot of teams. They are starting to do so now, and you know it, it's going to look worse and worse. Now it might not matter. Like it, frankly, if Matt Lafleur can do this every game, uh, who cares? I don't. I won't care if they don't have a receiver. Maybe two or three years down the line when Devontae's contract comes up and there's nothing in the pipeline, I'll complain again. But, I mean, if they keep this up, I, I frankly don't care that much um, what the offensive personnel looks like. And Bob Tanyan had three touchdowns. I mean, <laughs> if it hadn't been for your harping, I, I really wouldn't have thought much of Alan Lazard. You know, he you sort of were on him very, very early. You knew that that guy was going to be a different, was capable of being a difference maker before he was even really on the active roster. And, you know, he sort of rose up the ranks and, and you sort of saw that. It For me, this it's the same thing with Robert Tanyan. I mean, he's sort of a, you know, an unremarkable acquisition tight end, you know, coming from another organization kind of off the street. You don't really think of him as as a difference maker, but you've, you've sung his praises. As you guys both have said that he has he's going to be their top top tight end. Then, I think, you know, I, you know I, how... I must say, I think Matt was more on Robert than I was. I was a little skeptical because he's he's not a great blocker and he hadn't shown up a ton. Um, but he was their best prospect to do damage this year. And he is like mm-hmm. a lot of their guys that they get off the street, super athletic. Like I know we, Matt and I call a lot of guys, the most athletic guys on the team. He's one of the most athletic guys <laughs> on the team. He's a, you really do. he's an, I know they have so many guys with nine and or above razes. Like it's just, it's hard to actually make that distinction these days, but um, he is much more athletic than Sternberger, um, obviously than Lewis, because everybody's more, Mercedes is great, but not not his forte. He's um, there to block. <laughs> he is there to block. And um, Deguara, also a good athlete, uh, better at fullback than tight end. Um, but Sternberger blows him all away. And the fact that he's sort of turned into that sort of Tiny. giant Tiny fast receiver. Away, yeah, Tiny blows him all away. Sorry. And um, just seeing him turn into sort of that giant split wide receiver is really nice to see. Um, I, I was... Doing some number crunching on the the Packers tight end position as a whole versus the the league tight end position as a whole, because it's kind of an unremarkable group coming into the season. Like nobody really thought much of Tanyan. Sternberger did not do much. Mercedes is not great. The only group that you can argue has been better than them is the Colts. Um, they they are averaging 15 yards per reception and 12 yards per target as a unit on tight end. Most of that's Mo Ali Cox. If he is on your fantasy waiver wire, which he probably isn't, but if he is, you should go get him. He is the sort of Robert Tanyan you don't know about. Um, I mean, you should at this point if you play fantasy football because he's been a hot pickup for everybody. But that guy's great. But like um, Tanyan is, or the Packer tight ends are the second best unit in football so far by a lot. 
Um, wow. They average about 12 yards per reception as a unit, about 10 yards per target, and they catch about 80% of the passes that they're throwing their way so far, which is the thing that they, they lead tight ends in. So um, there's a lot of worse units out there. Um, like the 49ers have been worse. Kittle's missed time. Like the the Chiefs sure. tight ends are worse, even though they have Kelsey. So um, I don't. part of this is probably scheme. LaFleur always likes to use tight ends. The Shanahan scheme relies heavily on them. But, man, they have just really dominated in the absence of having a lot of receivers around. So, nice to see. Um, can't complain. Yeah, and, I mean, we, you talked about how, how they're mirroring what Shanahan is doing and how, you know, if they had a George Kittle, he would be he would be featured, of course. Like the, the, But the guys like George Kittle are hard to come by. Robert Tanyan isn't George Kittle. We know this. But from what you saw Monday night, is, is this the next step toward that, toward that 49ers sort of mimicry I mean, it hurts now with Deguara tearing his ACL and being out because you know that like that's kind of an ingredient too that you you know the the poor man's Kyle Yuschek. But are, are we seeing the uh, you know the next phase where where tight ends are going to be I guess more prominently featured from here on out? I, I don't I don't see why not if they're this good now. I think so, and uh, this was even like a, a Shanahan on steroids kind of game, and I think that's what you're going to see from Lafleur. Like you will see Shanahan like the whole idea is have heavy personnel go out for passes. And that can look a lot like a lot of different things. Like Kyle Juszczyk comes out of the backfield a lot, but he'll line up a tight end a lot too. The Packers were all over the place on this game. Like Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams were lining up out wide at wide receiver and getting targets out there. Um, and Tanyan was in line. He was out wide. Um, every player played all over the place. And it has to be just murder on a defense to keep track of everybody and keep matchups um, where they need to be. Uh the running back thing was kind of crazy. I can't believe it worked as well as it did. Like, I can't believe they caught all those passes that were thrown to them. Like, Jamal Williams is a nice receiver out of the backfield. Jones has shown he can do damage down the field, but neither of them have that much efficiency most of the time. And I think that's what you're going to see. Like, I think this is really the, um, almost the, the breakdown of, like, calling pitchers, starters, and relievers on the Brewers. You know, they're all outgetters in the council world. I don't really think there's receivers on the Packers anymore. I don't really think there's positions. I think they they have you know the places you're supposed to stand, and they tell, okay, you're on the offense, go stand there. You might get a pass. Um, know your routes, and that's how it works. It's going to be just murder to cover. He's he's done a great job, and well, until somebody solves that, it probably doesn't matter that much if they don't have a bunch of starting receivers, and they'll get those guys back soon anyway. So. The Packers win 30-16. to 16. Some I, I, maybe anxious moments in the first half. They took a 7-0 lead. They went for it on fourth and goal, did not get it. One of the rare instances where the uh, the other team bit back, where they, weren't, they, they didn't end up uh, putting themselves in a bad spot. They marched down the field. They don't score 10 minutes plus <laughs> on the drive. 10 minutes plus, and they uh, they end up being held to a field goal. After converting uh, that, two that was fourth a big downs, thing. what a bunch of garbage. Dan Quinn should have been fired after that right. drive. Well, Dan Quinn's going to be fired eventually. <laughs> I mean, he's on borrowed time, of course. We know this. Everyone knows this. You don't have to be a genius. But um, big, big series, big defensive series that way. The whole bend but don't break thing, I think, is something that Packers fans are a little frustrated. They don't want to hear about that. Uh, but but this but the defense was was really good. Uh for the most part, really good. Maybe maybe he's a little strong, but uh, Zadarius Smith came up with some sacks. Chris Barnes is like an actual stud linebacker. He actually apparently. might be really good. Uh, yeah, that guy. That was an impressive yeah. game. He had. Uh, I'm now. I, I'm turned around on inside linebackers. I'm 
I'm very much over the the fill and hit on run Blake Martinez kind of guys. I want to see some coverage and some flying to the ball, and he was awesome in coverage. That one stupid catch that the Falcons had where it went off of his hands because there were two Packers there, that's still a great play. Like That was a fantastic defensive play. When was the last time you saw a Packer inside linebacker like break up a pass like that i can't i literally I know, can't man. remember it happening they just haven't had guys who are capable of it you know they're they're not even looking for guys like that i don't know if they just fi- i don't know chris barnes just kind of happened to them <laughs> he did um just another good find of a, a pretty athletic guy but he, he, i mean they want he did, they didn't want him to be playing there it's supposed to be kamal martin it's supposed to be summers but uh, it looks like it's going to be him and I mean, he looked dynamite. He did get hurt, I think, in that game, which is not great, but I think it's okay. So, But the defense played good. Like, they were legitimately good in this game. And even on that 10-minute drive where they allowed a field goal, they got two stops. Uh, the, the Falcons just happened to convert a couple of fourth downs. I think wasn't one of them a roughing the passer penalty. I know there was a key Zedarius roughing the passer penalty at some point that gave them an extra set of downs. Um, so... That that definitely moved the chains. I don't remember if that was a third third down Might have been that a went third, yeah. no conversion, but yeah, it definitely moved the chains. But they they did they stopped the run for the first time in I don't know years, um, and everybody looked like they were like keeping in their gaps, being responsible. Zadarius looked like a man possessed, like way better than he's looked any time this year. He leads the league in sacks now after the game. Mm-hmm. How about that? <laughs> Crazy. We haven't, I, I've been, we've been saying on this podcast, he's been doing a good job moving around, covering for the fact that there's other Packers out. Um, given the chance to let loose in this game, he just dominated it, and I think he'll probably stay there even when Gary gets back. Uh, even Preston got into the backfield a few times. He he cleaned up a Zedarius sack at one point, and he was looking a little bit better. Um, not still not great, but it's it's good to see all that work up front. A, a Tyler Lancaster even had a good game. I know one of your personal favorites, but um, oh man, I love the man. Especially on on run defense, he was just stoning everything. And maybe the best uh, performance of the day was Jair, who was off the charts. Alexander. If you look at, I mean, when you know Calvin Ridley is like legitimately one of the best receivers in the National Football League, and and they, and with Julio Jones back, you had to think that Ridley would just eat that that he'd be able to get the you know that they'd have to split their attention. There is no way that Calvin Ridley was going to not go off a little bit. You just had to limit him. Zero catches. Like, are you serious? I can't believe it. Yep. I, I, in the mini pod, I believe my recommendation was. You're going to start the Atlanta receivers if they're healthy, but maybe temper your expectations a little bit. They'll get their yards. They didn't get their yards. They got literally no yards. <laughs> Kevin Ridley got shut nothing. out. Matt Ryan's numbers actually don't look terrible if you exclude his Ridley targets, but uh, add in that 0 for 5 performance there, and it just tanks him. So that Jair has now done a... Uh, he has He's had a reduced difficulty slate because almost all of the Packer opponents have been missing their number one receiver. But he, the way he dominated Ridley is, you know, no fluke. He is playing out of his mind good. He shut down everybody he's been uh, tasked with covering. And I think, I think we can conclude he is now officially good. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen his, his tape. He looks great. He's producing now. He is uh, uh, an actual great cover corner. So makes life easier on everybody else. Shout out to the safeties who had a great game. Adrian Amos in particular was really good, had a huge breakup in the end zone. Shannon Sullivan had an early breakup that was pretty impressive too before he left with uh, with concussions. Yeah. So uh, and and, Dar- and Darnell Savage, I, I know that you know it's <laughs> never good on film when a uh, <laughs> when a quarterback levies a block against you that uh, that keeps you from getting to a guy and uh, turns into a touchdown. But uh, 
Uh, Matt Ryan's quite a bit larger than Darnell Savage, yeah. so I guess it's it's totally understandable. But but he had a good game too. I mean, they just really it, there weren't many weak spots on defense. I don't know if I don't know if you can even isolate one. Uh, it was just a pretty good all around performance. Yep, it really was. Um, Archon did his analysis of garbage time versus non garbage time again. They were phenomenal in non garbage time again. So this is you know now it's a trend where when they have a a less than ninety five percent chance of winning the game. Their pass defense is basically the best in the league. When they get into garbage time, and th- their garbage time defense this time was fine. Like they uh, they continued to shut down Atlanta into garbage time pretty well, but they are just killing it whenever they need to turn it on. And what can't ask for more than that, especially when Zadarius is on. He he really made things work, and uh, so nice to see. It's so fun to see sacks and just running through offensive lines. Uh, Let's now they get healthy. I really thought Kenny Clark was going to play. It really kind of surprised me to see him. A lot of people said it didn't surprise them to see him on the inactives list. I don't know if I just sort of missed some signs, but I talked myself into the idea that Kenny Clark was going was going to play. And when he was inactive, I thought, oh, I, I thought, great, we're going to see it again. We're going to see the Falcons roll up a ton of points, a ton of yards. They've got their their receivers. The Packers are shorthanded on offense. I, I didn't think that they would necessarily be interested in getting this into a shootout because I didn't know if the Packers had the weapons to do that. I, f- I feel stupid for even thinking that because <laughs> the Packers will, will win every shootout. But uh, yeah, I, I really thought this was a dangerous game. I, at the very least, I thought there'd be some tense moments. And, you know, quite honestly, after they score that touchdown, Bob Tanyan go up right before half, 20 to 7. I mean, did you kind of know it was over? It felt over a little bit, even yeah. though that's a two, that's not even a two score game. I mean, it's a two score two touchdowns take the lead there but i don't know it felt really really in hand at that point it did i don't know why it felt as over as it did because we've seen so many teams come back from so so many deficits of that type but the packers just seemed in control of it and even when they kind of took their foot off the gas i think that's what made it over for me is they started running the ball a ton at the beginning of the second half and just kind of I don't like it when they do this, but kind of pissing away drives to some extent. Um, that's when I made my Jamal Williams shouldn't run the ball quote and got yelled at for it. But, we got to talk about that. Uh, he had, by the way, he had eight yards on seven carries in that game. So at least for that game, I'm definitely right. But, uh, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I'm fine running the ball to kill clock, but I, I wish they would have gotten a little bit bigger lead and actually put the game away. But it didn't matter because the other thing is they could have just turned on the gas again if they needed to. And Rodgers would have torn up that defense yet again, just like he did before. That's the ultimate, like, you have the game in hand. Like, Rodgers isn't going to blow too many leads. If they might run into a super good defense, there aren't any this year, but could happen. Maybe that gets him into trouble at some point. But, you know, you always have that weapon in your back pocket if things start to go south. You can just have him fired up again, and you'll be fine. By the way, that uh, real quick, that Robert Tanyan touchdown where he fell down, and um, he basically was sprung open because or got pushed down. Also, a great feat of athleticism because he popped right back up, like basically in stride, and found himself open in the end zone. Um, just a, also a great, a nice little feat of athleticism to get himself a touchdown uncovered. So many uncovered touchdowns in this game too. It was it was a lot of college open. Matt did great. <laughs> yeah, the bunching on the one side with Aaron Jones <laughs> wide open on the other. So like, good. That's just- oh, it's good. It's good to have the future NFL coach of the year on the sideline there. Um, cause he's, he's looking like the front runner for that, but uh, let's actually rewind a little bit. Let's go back to before this game started the hours before this game started, we got a tweet, tweet, tweet from Devante Adams, uh, <laughs> announcing that he wouldn't be playing that night. Very salty tweet, uh, suggesting that other people knew better than he did about his, uh, 
about his health. Like he felt basically he was saying he felt like he could play. Other people made the decision for him. He was not happy about that. He wanted to play. Uh, this is the third, well, two, two and a half games now that he's missed going into the bye. I mean, hindsight being 2020, you see what the Packers are able to do without their top two wide receivers. It's laughable to think that they should try to rush Devonte Adams back. I mean, what's the point? You're going into your bye. You're going to, you're going to face this lesser team. You're going to win. Uh, it, it seems silly, but at the time it's a little interesting, you know, it's like, you'd think that everything is pretty much sunshine and lollipops in the Green Bay Packers locker room because they're, they're having so much success, but Leaving you, know, leaving you with the implication that uh, Devontae is not happy. He did delete the tweet. About 35 minutes went by, so it, it was out there. <laughs> it uh, was. What do you make of that? That's a it's it's a little disconcerting. Anytime you see that, it's also kind of fun to you know have a have a player sort of take take matters into his own hands a little bit and got to think he'll be healthy in two weeks. You know after the bye, but uh, yeah. but I don't know. What'd you make of that? I I suspect they just told everybody who had a ling- lingering injury to shut it down with the bye week coming up and not to take any risks. I'm sure that they sort of doubled down on that once the Bears lost and, mm-hmm. you know, they had a game space to work with. And I doubt it's anything big in the locker room. I doubt there's anybody intentionally holding Devontae back or that he feels that way. It's good to see a guy who wants to be out there, even if he gets, you know, a little ahead of himself there. But uh, I don't know. It it would be nice. To, it's one of those things you just want to keep it in the house. That's the main thing. Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want your guys spouting their discontent off into the great ether you want that you want it to be something you bring to your coach and you know you want the coach to be able to be like hey look i know you want to play um but yeah it's been a while he has a hamstring right um i believe like hamstrings do not just you know they're they're tricky and when they recur they keep you out longer so um we have we have a week off next week take it easy get healthy and then go kick everybody's ass and the Tampa game that actually has a good defense. So um, it, it would be nice if, you know, that relationship occurred. But on the other hand, you know, receivers have a long history of being outspoken for themselves. And, you know, you'd rather, you'd rather have a guy being like, yes, I want to go out there and play versus Allen Robinson, who clearly does not want to go out there and play and wants nothing to do with the Bears anymore. <laughs> so that it could could be worse. Um, I, I doubt it's anything. I'm sure he he wishes he hadn't tweeted it even if he feels that way uh, but i doubt it leads to anything big it, if it does that would be kind of insane receiver is such a production position it's so easy to gauge how well receivers are doing and counting stats are a big deal you look at the end of the year you see a guy's catches his yards his touchdowns it's just really easy to do that without even considering how many games he's played so i i think you know for his own financial long-term well-being for his you know, his status in the game. I'm sure he, I'm sure he wants to be out there. I'm sure he wants to be out there to help the Green Bay Packers win football games. And we saw what he did in week one. It stands to reason that this, all things being healthy, would be a tremendous breakout season for Devontae Adams. If they can scheme that guy open like they did in game one, in week one, it's going to be, he's just going to eat all year long. So I, I'm sure he's chomping at the bit. Who wouldn't want to be part of this offense that's humming along right now and, you know, scoring 30 plus points every single game? Um, I can I could see the frustration, especially especially feels like he's there. But you know, again, you can look at it from the Packers' point of view and totally understand it. If if they knew if they were comfortable enough in that game plan, knowing that they were going to win that game or at least have a really good chance of winning that game, you you just you just go into the bye week. You give that extra week. You let it rest. Yep. How many times has have, have has an athlete been burned coming back from a hamstring specifically? Yep. And uh, and and re- had it retighten up. I mean, it happened to Clay Matthews all the time. So <laughs> sure did. Uh, it feels it feels like uh, it feels like that. It's it's obviously the prudent thing to do. 
Uh, scary because they go in without their best two receivers. Uh, doesn't doesn't look scary in hindsight, nope, but, uh, but it wasn't. That's you know, it's a good point. You said you about, can understand it. Good point about his long term stats, though. I do wonder how much that weighs on him. That uh, he only has that one one thousand yard season, and he he does tend to miss like sure. three or four games every year, and it does tend to keep him from hitting some of those magic numbers. He has a whole bunch of nine hundred yard seasons where he played in thirteen or fourteen games. And when you do hit the free agent market, people are going to look at that and, you know, perhaps conclude you're injury prone, perhaps conclude you're not quite one of the most elite guys in the game, which, you know, Tape always says he is, but there's just a few things about him that you can argue back on, and then health is one of them. He is often not on the field. Um, you know, this one, I think he probably could have been. If this was a playoff game, I'm sure he would have played, but um, you know, that probably does weigh on your mind. Like, we know it does with baseball players going to arbitration, I'm sure. Uh, if you're a receiver, that you want those thousand-yard seasons to be stacked up as much as possible. So, it's a good. Who point. wouldn't want to go against that Atlanta secondary yeah. when everybody's missing? I mean, talk about an opportunity. There is that too. They have they have like the worst number one corner um, in the league in Isaiah uh, Oliver. He's very bad. He just gets to- torched by number one receivers every week. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure Devonte did miss that. He was probably looking forward to it. I would have been looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, they, they were besieged by injuries. They sustained a few more in that game. Oh, man, they just they just weren't equal to the task, I'm afraid. But uh, but I don't know. There's a lot of teams that aren't. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is just – I don't know what more you, we or anyone else can say about him, but dude is, dude is possessed. He's, he's hitting every target. I mean, everything that's being schemed open for him, he is taking. He's getting, he's getting it right to the guys in the right spots. It's uh, – I mean, we, we talked, I think, I think you, you joined this conversation on Twitter a little bit on Tuesday, the, the MVP situation. I mean, right now it does, it's, you know, quarter poll, so take it for what it's worth, but <laughs> that's him and Russell Wilson. It's, it's pretty much the, that's it. Those two guys that are front and center. I don't know who else even, even gets discussed at this point. Russell Wilson's never won it before. He's, he's playing at a very high level. He's probably, you know, probably by virtue of having never won it before is probably a little bit, you know, has a little bit of an edge I think for that's an award true. that just. And he's his narrative. Yep. I do think he has been maybe just a hair better as well, but it's neck and neck. And um, I do think that gives him an advantage, though, the never having won it. I do think there's also a lot of writers who now feel both bad and embarrassed about not. He's never had a vote, um, Russell Wilson, for MVP. Yeah. Which is. there, But it's not a. Correct me if I'm wrong. As far as I know, the MVP vote isn't like a top three or top five. It's just pick your guy. It's just pick so your he's guy. never had one person say yes, first place for Russell Wilson. That's a little different than like what they do in some of the baseball voting, where you get three to five guys depending on the award. That's a good point. There's not like a down ballot option for that, um, and there's always been a legitimately better player than him in I think almost sure. every year too. But it. It's still it's one of those things where in hindsight it's easier to tell that uh, you know this is the less the let Russ cook year he didn't get to really throw it that much he was often held back by his counting stats because he was often the player throwing it the least of any major quarterback that'll keep down your touchdowns and um, you know in in earlier age when you've got like a people are often biased against the running quarterbacks as well and he used to do quite a bit of running in the read option era Um, and so uh, like it. It makes sense historically why that happened, but I think people will be um, jumping at the bit to to make it up to Russ. And so if he's close, I think he probably wins it. Yeah, I agree with that, but I do think I do think Aaron Rodgers is, you know, if the Packers keep winning, and let's say Seattle falls off, I mean, they didn't exactly dominate their game on Sunday. They ended up pulling away late. So 
you know, that was against a lesser opponent. You could see Seattle tripping up. I mean, you could see Green Bay's tripping up, of course, uh, based on just the overall track record from what we know about them last year. But the step forward they've taken, I mean, you could see them having a better record than Seattle at the end of the year. And then, True. and then maybe we talk about it. I do think right now, coach of the year, again, quarter poll, but like, Matt LaFleur is looking awfully good for that award. I mean, I don't know. The, the, the Packers came in with reasonable expectations, but I think we, we at least would have seen them, you know, if, if they finished 500 this year, I think it would have been disappointing, but not like completely shocking. Yeah. Uh, because we did think 13 and 3 was inflated, and now now it doesn't look inflated at all. Sure, now it looks sure like, doesn't. my God, they really. I mean, Matt really LaFleur, did take a next step forward. All Matt LaFleur has to do is say, no. I'm the man who fixed Aaron Rodgers and that you win right there. That's it. And you know, it, speaking of a narrative award, <laughs> yes. but and even if you, you know, Aaron Rodgers had a, a nice quote saying, you know, even his down seasons are the best seasons for other quarterbacks and um, doesn't really think he's had too many down seasons, but um, whether it's just the play calling or some trust issue or whatever, Matt LaFleur's got him playing like his old self. And a lot of people, including me, didn't think that would ever happen again. So uh, he deserves the award just for that. But he also deserves the award for getting receivers just routinely wide open all over the place. I I was one to cut Mike McCarthy a little slack. And his last few years with the Packers look worse and worse every game that this happens and every Cowboy game that happens. Uh, the, I, I did not think I would see the day with Packer receivers just running free in the secondary. After watching... McCarthy's team with guys, you know, being charged to beat DBs one-on-one and to win individual battles and never having any help from scheme. This is such a huge change. It's uh, it's just, it's great and amazing to see, but Mike probably deserves much more criticism than at least I gave him. Other people were probably more spot on with that. <laughs> uh, I... Mm. Aaron's better. It, I was a, it I was a big McCarthy guy. I was a big McCarthy guy. I was too. actually a big McCarthy guy too. It just looks worse and worse as time goes on. <laughs> and uh, that Dallas experiment. I mean, uh, the offense is going okay over there, but and I know he he's not a defensive guy, but man, he's got to fix that defense. It is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. Yeah, fire capers all over again. <laughs> over at uh, what's the name of the D coordinator in Dallas? Uh, I actually have forgotten, and I'm going to go look it up right now. Oh, um, uh, yeah, look it up. Uh, and then I also uh, let, let's jump back to something that you wanted to talk about, and that's Jamal Williams as a runner. Uh, you've taken heat, as you mentioned, because you are critical of him as a as a purely running the football running back. Uh, you did cite his stats, which were not good from this game, but but overall, it seems like uh, he he's he caught 95 yards of I mean he had 95 yards receiving in this game he, he's clearly capable out of the backfield of oh, that, that's kind of what you want is a pass catching running back that's where kind of you get a lot of added value from running yes. backs but you're saying uh, you're saying he's not a, a good pure runner and uh, and people should just accept that I guess yes and it's Mike Nolan by the way is the defensive coordinator in Dallas which I had totally Mike forgotten Nolan. yeah shout out indeed so uh <laughs> First of all, I got heat for this. Even though Jamal Williams is one of my favorite Packers, he because he is like an unsung hero for all the things he does well that are all like the little things the running backs like should be good at um, if they work hard and get coached up and things like that. He is by far the best blocking running back on the team in pass protection. And he's been a very good receiver for his entire career and is again this year and was in that game. But... He is, also, he is joy. He is joy. He's also joy. He does all the cool, he, like he, 
that he has all the dancing clips. He has all, like he seems to really enjoy football and like being out there and being in the limelight, and it's fun to see him. Like Jamal Williams seems like a cool guy. He is good at his job, and so I, you know, we always say on this podcast we don't like to pay running backs. Running backs are fairly interchangeable. Jamal Williams' skills are actually less interchangeable. Like those take work and development to get good in pass protection and to develop like sophisticated route running. Aaron Jones was not a good receiver for the first two years of his career. He's still not as good as Jones is. He's better at going deep, but his hands are worse. And um, So, I, like, I like Williams for a ton of reasons, but he's just not a very good running back. Like, running, running back. He, he's, he struggles quite a bit there. So, um, I was getting yelled at during the game, partially because before the game started this season, he had a 4.7-yard per carry average. Um, he now has a 3.7 yard per carry average because that's what happens in small sample sizes when you when you rush eight times or seven times for eight yards in a game. Um, but Jamal Williams' whole career, he's just not a good like he's not a, an efficient running back. He's not that shifty. He he's often put in the power role, but he's actually not that good of a power runner. He gets stuffed at, um, in short yardage pretty regularly, as he did in this game on the one yard line. Not a good play call, but you know. You still expect your big guys to bust their way into the end zone every once in a while on those, and he just doesn't do it. So um, he will occasionally put up a decent yards per carry um, stat. But the other thing to understand about Jamal Williams is he gets almost all of his um, his yardage from the fact that he is often the third down back because he's in for pass pro. So he get, he runs like more draw plays on like third and tens and things like that than Jones does than any other Packer back. And he gets super light boxes, not just your normal light boxes, but like your dime boxes. And he'll often pick up like eight yards on third and 10. He had, one, I, I believe he had a like 13 yard gain on third and 15 in this game, which, you know, 13 yards are yeah, nice, yep. but you still didn't get the first down. So, um, he fattens up a lot on those. On on first and second down carries, he averages about three yards a carry for his career, which is not great. So, um, like I, I love Jamal Williams, and it's not like they run him all the time. Jones has 65 attempts. Jo- Jamal Williams has 29. But uh, all, all I said was I could stand to not see him run the, run that much again. And, you know, he's not out there a ton, but his skill set is for other things. He has to run sometimes so that people know that it might happen. But every time he he got a bunch of series in this game, and those were the punts. <laughs> Jamal caused a lot of punts with his running, so I I, I don't care for that. that. That that's that's really that's my only thing. Like just he does a lot of things. He's very useful to have on the team. I would resign him because he won't cost very much, and he does useful things. But I, I just don't like him as a runner. You have better runners. Like the the other two guys are better runners. Use them for that. There's no reason to do that. Let's talk about one of those other runners uh, because we saw AJ Dillon for all of one carry. He uh, I think after after they had that goal that run to the goal line and then uh, got stuffed. A lot of a uh, lot of chatter was like, "Why aren't we seeing AJ Dillon? He's the big <laughs> dude. Why isn't he the one barreling through the line?" And then you know Jamal Williams gets stuffed. Um, it's a good question. I I don't I don't know if there's a good answer to that. You know we we could talk. This doesn't need to be the conversation about whether or not they should have drafted him or like you know what what they were doing using a second round pick on him. Uh, but when you when you have a second round guy on your team, you'd like to think you could use him at least a little more than sort of one random carry in the middle of the field. I mean, if the guy isn't going to get you that last yard over the end line, like what's what is he going to do? I know he's still a development, you know, and he's an in progress project to a degree, but. Uh, I don't know. It seems like uh, seems like I, I felt like that was a fair question. Why isn't AJ Dillon the guy getting the ball on the one yard line? Well, 
it's also a fair question because like aside from just high draft picks all of that so the last time the Packers spent a second round pick on a running back was Eddie Lacy and in Eddie Lacy's rookie year he had 1200 yards and and 11 touchdowns that's his rookie year and that's what high drafted running backs are supposed to do it's not a position that usually takes a lot of development and so it is weird that he doesn't really have a role on the team so far especially when there are some things that presumably he could be doing instead of Jamal Williams. And um, I, just a sabermetric thing for me, uh, big backs aren't always that good in, in short yardage. It sometimes actually pays to be a small back and get through small creases. Um, it, if you watch Marcus Allen get a bunch of one-yard carries, he's like the slightest, like big, strong guy, but like very narrow frame, um, work to his advantage. So sometimes it's easy to stuff those guys. But aside from that, like A.J. Dillon should have some role, like we, we be it power running or um, maybe being the big back in the power formation who does go out for passes every once in a while. He has no targets on the year. Uh, he has not had a pass thrown to him one time, which also seems strange since like everybody else on the team has had a pass thrown to him at least once. It's true. Um, Darius Shepard is catching, but Malik Taylor has a reception. Yeah, he does. Uh, um, very nice. Wide open. Nice job, Malik. Um, I know that was that was well done actually. It was great, <laughs> but but it, it's uh it, it's for such a high pick at a position that doesn't take a lot of development most of the time. Yeah, he's got good players in front of him, but um it's it's very strange to not see him used at all. And it's not like he's been terrible in his very very small amount of work. Like he has four point three yards per carry. It's not like he's been stuffed every single time he's carried the ball. He's he's been okay. Um, and you would think he maybe want to save somewhere in terror. On, on Jones and maybe even Williams in a game that is a blowout, which they've had plenty of. Um, but I, I don't know. It's It seems odd. It makes me wonder what they're seeing behind the scenes, uh, if maybe they expected his hands to come along a little bit more than they, they have. Uh, they did talk his hands up a lot after they drafted him, uh, and I think they maybe plan to use him in at least somewhat of a pass-catching role. But uh, maybe that's just keeping him off the field. Maybe his pass pro is not up to snuff. That's often the case with the rookies. Uh, but it's it's not great to see. Uh, it's you know that draft class is not every draft class has to contribute right away. But the one spot you usually can get contributions right away is his, and um, it's just another one that's not, it's not working out so far. Yeah, that's a little concerning. Before we get to questions, uh, I want to touch briefly on special teams. Um, Mason Crosby missed an extra point, but. You know, I I think I'm more comfortable watching him kick any anything like 50 yards and in. I'm I'm almost 100% certain he's going to hit everyone. It blows my mind when he doesn't. It didn't even cross my mind that he would miss an extra point at any point this season. Uh, and and I I am reminded of that because I I just went I'm I'm going back and as I've mentioned doing this series on the 2010 team uh, yes. that won the Super Bowl going game by game. I mean, reading about Mason Crosby there too. That wasn't his best year. He 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 was shaky. And once again, I'm reminded that this guy. Has had has had rough patches in his career, and, and the fact that the Packers really stood by him, and you know reinforced that he was their guy, turns out was a great call over and over again. It turns out it's a great call. They could have they could have cut bait a, a lot of points, and and they didn't have to. And uh, that's it's it's amazing watching. I, he's just, he's just really really good. Uh, and Tyler Irvin, I, I, I speaking of just confidence, I I don't know if I've had this level of confidence watching Packers return kicks and punts before. Not necessarily because I think he's going to get him a big gain, although that's certainly <laughs> on the table with him. It's just he is just so comfortable fielding that ball in traffic, you know, way up in the sky, whatever. It doesn't matter. That guy is fluid. I don't think he's going to put the ball on the ground. Yep. And I mean, last year when you had 
you know, Darius Shepard is back there. I mean, they have had a rotating wheel of, of options returning kicks. This 2010 season is a good example where it was Jordy Nelson before Jordy Nelson was really good at it or, you know, really good at all. Uh, Pat Lee was a guy that they threw back there. Tremont Williams was returning punts. Like they, they have so many different faces in that role and it's never been, it has not been a comfortable facet of their game. You know, as long as I can remember, I mean, maybe, I don't know if we have to go all the way back to Desmond, Desmond Howard, Howard, but it, <laughs> I mean, that might be the last time that they had a truly credible, comfortable kicking game or a return game. Now with kickoffs, obviously it's different. You don't, you know, you're not going to get a lot out of the kickoff game just the, because kicks the are rules. so, you know, yep. so close to the end zone. But uh, this is the most comfortable I've really been with their special teams. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but uh, I, I really are struck by that watching them in this game. No, I feel totally the same way. It's been such a train wreck for the last several seasons with whoever they stick back there either you know that they're not going to field it right or you know make the wrong end zone decision when it's like close mm-hmm. to the end zone uh, he he seems to always do the right thing he seems to always hang on to the ball and he like he gets what he can he doesn't do that thing where you run backwards trying to get around the end um he's, he just seems like a very smart capable returner who is explosive enough that i wouldn't you know if he did break one or two this year i wouldn't be surprised at all but um it's just nice to to have that level of confidence that it's not going to blow the game for you like um he's good. I hope they keep Tyler forever. I kind of feel like about him, like I feel about long snappers. Once you find a guy that can do that, um, you know, if they're not expensive, just, just keep him around for a while. Now, like Tyler Irvin's not going to be in huge demand. He's not that old. Um, sign, sign him to like a 10 year contract. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm for that. <laughs> That's going to blow people's minds. What? Ooh. <laughs> also screw Darius Shepard for not scoring on that third down play, um, oh. which, Run your route, just a, a come on, or, or just stretch it over, like know where the line is. Get the ball over. It was so close. Like, it, do like you think if they had reviewed score. that play, he they could have reviewed that play. I think he probably would have been ruled short, but they at least could have looked at it. It was very, very, very close, and I think that it was too close to overturn. Um, I, mm-hmm. I do think he scored. I do think that just the nodule of the ball was over the line, but just get it in. Like it, it looked like he tried to not score, but. I mean, insane. when he caught that ball, I haven't seen like a screen grab of the moment he caught the ball, but that's like one of those, in my mind's eye, that's one of those screen grabs you see where it's like, he didn't score on this play and you're flabbergasted because yep. it looks so obvious that he's going to get into the end zone. It's like he catches it and the left part of his body's in the end zone and the right part of his body slowly moves into the end zone as he moves the ball into his right hand, which is still out of the end zone. <laughs> and then he gets like, he's going down and he could just like, just move the ball just a little tiny bit, and he doesn't do it. it uh, he's going to bug me forever. Like I don't think he's going to turn into anything, but I don't even care if he does. I've had too many bad Darius Shepard moments in my life already. He, he, I would like him to go away. Plus, Malik Taylor looks good. Like Give him that job. <laughs> yeah, the little bit we've seen of him. They, they did end up uh, – they brought up Reggie Begleton, of course, so they had four receivers on the 53-man roster. Kind of a curious move to bring him up that way rather than promote him from the practice squad. I think they just really wanted – they're two guys, uh, you know, they're two guys, the, the the guy from Arkansas, whose name I forget, Scooter, uh, Scooter Harris, Scooter Harris and, yes. uh, Bill, and Billy Wynn, who was promoted for the second week in a row on the defensive line. I'm guessing they just really wanted those guys to be up because they then cut bait with Begleton on Tuesday. They, they did. They waived him to make room. So, so he was sort of just a, a placeholder, it would seem. But, uh, but that's surprising because Darius Shepard. You know, they, they've seen a lot of him, and I don't I don't think, like you said, it doesn't doesn't seem like he's going to be a long-term contributor. Nope. I, I guess he's a good practice player. I guess he tries really hard. I guess he's got some, you know, his, some Rudy to him. But, uh, 
man, whenever he's on the field, something's something bad happens. Let's <laughs> So let's dive into questions, shall we? Oh, let's do it. We have so many questions. Thank you for all the questions. Do a lot. The first question is about the D line. Also, uh, this is Mark uh, Pudscarby, who uh, also asked if Tanyan is a legit caliber tight end, which we did talk about. Or is, or is Lafleur system making him look good? I think we're kind of in, in agreement. He is. He is a starting caliber for sure. This yeah, is totally. uh, this is a big moment, big breakout moment for him. Is the D line better this year than last year? I would have said no before this game because, well, it's hard. It's hard to judge because the best player on the D line isn't isn't out there. But when uh, you know, they got gashed quite a bit, garbage yep. time or not, gashed quite a bit, especially on the ground through the first three weeks. But now, showing up this week, I think a lot of that is just because Darius Smith was just, was just out of his mind and made things uh, yeah. you know, made things very difficult for Matt Ryan. A lot of it, I think, also like D line's a tough spot, and they were definitely bad last year. Dean Lowry was out of his element last year, but having Chris Barnes cleaning up everything um, quickly in this game also made them look a lot better than they otherwise do. So um, I know the, the the sort of inside middle linebacker isn't the part of the defensive line, technically speaking, but he goes a long way towards making him look good, and that happened here too. Tyler Lancaster starting to come around a little bit. Also, My Mon- guy. Montrevious had a good game. A lot of people who we've ripped on lately had good games here, which was also strange. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I did not even know that Montrevious Adams was out there. He played. So, uh... He was okay. This may just be Atlanta being awful, so it's something to keep in mind. Um, but the, the line had a, had a good game, which is better than not having a good game, and they were atrocious last year. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic when they get Clark back that they might actually round into a pretty good defense. They, they, they still rank crappy by DVOA, um, but just with all the info we have about like their, their non-garbage time play, um, with just kind of subbing out and subbing back in players, fi- if they finding Barnes and um, getting a good solid rotation going, getting Zedarius back where he belongs... I think they might have something here. So I'll go with it that they're actually better, though this might blow up in my face, but we'll see. <laughs> Deemed Hams asks, very meta, by the way, his uh, his handle, at Beer the Deer, which I appreciate. Good job getting Is it that possible one. to criticize? Yeah, that's tough. That that had to be one that a lot of people wanted. He yeah. was early early adopters uh, get the worm on the, on Twitter. Is it possible to criticize the Packers in any way without certain cheeseheads getting mad about it? This is a, definitely a question for you, Paul Noonan. <laughs> no, it is not. Um, it is hard to write <laughs> any way skeptically about the Packers without getting yelled at by certain people. So, um, it uh, th- that's fine. There's, there's like you know there's something for everybody out there, and there are a bunch of Packer websites that are just rah rah go-go cheerleaders and just want to bask in all of the goodness that happens. That's totally fine. Like, I didn't, um, you know, try and try and bring some of that, but that is a perfectly fine way to experience the team. However, I do wish that they would not get into it with me quite as much when I point things out that maybe are still wrong with the team. So that, that that's yeah. all. Um, if, if you're going to bring joy and happiness, you, you don't need to go into us analytical people's space all the time and, and tell us that we're wrong. That's all. Yeah, I think for me, when I see this, this is a very like social media concept. It is. I, I think it's the thing that does frustrate me is it's it's almost about not so much about defending your team as it is the right to be the one who's critical of your team. Nobody, there are there are those, and and this is a blanket, you know, like vague statement. I don't have I'm I don't have a you know data on this, but it does seem like there are people out there who will be very critical of the Packers and, and very quick to throw in the towel and very upset. But the second a national media, not, not even talking about local guys, the second the national media ignores the team or says something critical about the team, 
there's this chorus jumping on that guy's back because it's like that it's it's our team to criticize it's our you know that it's our team and i know that there is i know some of that is born of just pure fandom that they that they believe in their team and they don't want anybody to say something bad about it they want them to be nationally recognized as one of the best teams uh but but i also think there's something a little toxic about it you know when i when I like something, whether or not it's sports, I, I like hearing other point of view. You know, sometimes it's nice, especially if it's movies or pop culture or something. Sometimes I'll, I'll really like something and then I'll read what other people say about it because I want to know, did I did I miss something? Mm-hmm. I, I know that's not how most people deal with movies and TV or whatever, but I, I like seeing all sides of it. I like reading people who are complimentary and I like reading people who are critical. Yeah. And that makes me think about it and makes me kind of come up with my own point of view. It's different with sports. That's more objective measures than it is, uh, you know, just evaluating art, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, but you know, it, it doesn't hurt to have critical critical thinking out there. It's it's. I mean, certainly the team itself is engaging in that so that it knows how to get better. You know, teams, coaches make a habit of saying, well, you know, they they could win, you know, sixty to nothing, and coaches will be like, well, there's some things we got to clean up out there, right? I mean, they, <laughs> critical thinking is what fuels teams to get better, so it is not unhealthy in any way, shape, or form to engage in that sort of thing. It is. Uh, it does make me irritated to have people sort of see both, you know, try to talk out of both sides of their mouth, like, oh, the, the Packers are to be protected, but also they suck. Yeah, you know, so when, when they have a bad game. I'll say this for me and my ilk. Uh, so I don't follow any players on Twitter, and I. You can't ever be objective. It's impossible. But I, I like I try to be objective about the team, and I, I feel like I praise them pretty often. Like when Alan Lazard is, you know, super great in DVOA and making plays, and people aren't necessarily noticing him a lot. Like I take great joy in pointing out those guys that I can sort of identify and find that are unsung and maybe will break out. But I like to be able to criticize the things that you know aren't going so well as well, and I don't want to be compromised in doing so. And I think it's. You should have a couple of those around and not just the people who are rah-rah for the team all the time. However, I also say this about about me and my ilk as well, which is we do often and I think too often um, take the role or parrot people who are in the front office. Like we do it from the perspective of people as resources at getting surplus value um, and that A, can be very boring, um, B, can sometimes be dehumanizing to the people we're talking about, and that's not Definitely. it's not good. So I try to keep. I was trying to keep um, the perspective of you know you're, you're talking about actual humans here that are all great at their jobs, that are among the best athletes in the world, and you know have lives off the field. So you know w- when you do criticize somebody, it, you want to keep it to you know on the field as well, and not get mixed up with you know their personalities and their lives as people as well. So. I do think the analytics folks can fall into that trap often. You'll often see people just ripping to shreds some of the lesser quarterbacks of the league. Um, you know, just like uh, Sam Darnold's a good example of this. Who's on the Jets? Who I think actually might still be a good quarterback. Just happens to play for the Jets. That guy gets just exorciated by New York media, by analytics people, and you know he's probably a perfectly fine person and a nice guy who happens to happen to be drafted by the Jets and play for a garbage coach. And what can you do about that? So um, I don't know that. Try, you know, there's lots of ways to enjoy football. It's good to have different perspectives and just, you know, keep keep an eye on what is actually important and where you can actually contribute with analysis versus just spouting garbage. Yeah, there is also sort of an, an unspoken contract you'd like to think with listeners or readers that when when the evaluation is this player isn't good at something or is bad even at something, obviously that is a relative 
valuation. I mean, these, these yeah. guys are NFL players. They are exceptional. They are out of this world athletes. There is a good chance that most of us have never even met or been in the same room as someone who is good as the you know the guys who are making up the practice squad for a, for an NFL football team. Yep. But you sort of, you know, you just that has to like be stated in the background. You don't have to say that every time when you can say, "Oh, this guy's just not good enough to be on an NFL roster." Exactly. I mean, he's exceptional, sure. We we know he's great, but he's not good enough here. So, so you kind of have to keep that in mind. I I do think what you said is true. Sometimes I think all of us fall into a category of just being like, "Wow, he's he sucks at this. He's he's not good enough." If he's on the team, you know that he has value to them. They have they see something, some value there, uh, that is uh that that I think we just sort of. Just sort of have to pocket and understand that when we talk about it, it's there. We yep. we know they're amazing athletes. We know that they're super. You know, like they'd be superstars in college teams and and high school teams and all that. They're they're out of this world. But you know, there's also a, another level, which is to be to be a great NFL player is another level entirely. Indeed. Next question: Is this your brother? It is Danny it's, Noonan. It's my brother. Noonan, he, I believe he and I are very, are almost neighbors. We live uh, very close to each other. That is correct. You guys live super close to each other. Say Shout it. out to Danny Noonan and the uh, the Tosa Hood. Would people have more respect for Rogers if he never opened his mouth or appeared in David Gruber commercials and shit like that? <laughs> so everybody, on the podcast, uh, Danny Noonan misspells needs, Rogers' name, by the way, first which is curious note, because Danny, not a big football fan, and um. <laughs> Also, not a big like follower of Packer culture. Most of his consumption of Aaron Rodgers in his life is probably through David Gruber commercials. So, um, some some Amazing. background perspective necessary there. Um, also, he misspells Rodgers' name, which is curious because I feel like most of the state has gone the other way, where they now like somebody is named R O G R R O G E R S, but it's just like in your head, it's automatically R O D G E R S mm -hmm. because Aaron Rodgers is the name that pops to our heads. Yep, Maybe he's right. uh, he's not so, there yet. And and just um, I think Aaron Rodgers is sort of first of all very smart, very media savvy, and if you can get him a pretty great interview, if you can get him to actually say some stuff. So I I think a lot of people uh, I'm I can only speak for myself. My view of Aaron Rodgers is that he is a very well sculpted um, media personality. That he is extremely smart, probably. Um, smarter than most quarterbacks, especially in a kind of nerdy way. I suspect he's also kind of a jerk in the way a lot of athletes are. Never met him, don't know. Just something that kind of rubs off when I hear him talk. Um, but, I mean, I think people love to get Aaron Rodgers on camera, love to interview him, and when they get him to open up, I think generally fascinating. So, no, I think uh, him talking more is what most Packer fans want. And I think he is actually pretty good at it. Like, he has more interesting things to say than Favre ever did. Yeah, 100%. I agree with every single word you say there. He is absolutely media brilliant. Not just media savvy. He's media brilliant. Yeah. He understands how to say things, how to frame it in a certain way that is interesting and novel. He knows how to get what he wants when he needs something. He knows how to not look like an asshole in interviews even if he thinks the question is stupid which, which I, I value very much as a skill <laughs> yeah he often does i mean he's got some he's got some sort of photographic memory thing going on it's it's part of what makes him such a special quarterback mm -hmm. uh he is i think his iq is is i mean i don't know if it's legitimately iq what but his smarts are, are off the charts yes and uh and I appreciate that. I enjoy listening to him talk. I think the great athletes, I always factor in that you have to have a certain amount of assholery because you know, you've got to, 
is he's famously fueled by people who doubted him. I think that's true of a lot of great athletes. Yep. There are people who are always chasing something. Maybe it's not the most fulfilling way to live your life, but if you want to be the, the, the greatest at something, Michael Jordan is absolutely the best case scenario of this. Like always feel like the world is against you, even when literally everyone <laughs> thinks you can do it. Exactly. Um, I mean, Michael Jordan, that last dance, what, what is more revealing than like, clearly number one, Michael Jordan was not a great, wasn't, is not a pleasant person, but B was so <laughs> driven by the things in his head. Um, and I think Aaron Rodgers is much more graceful in interviews than Michael Jordan was. I, I think he's just, he's just really a treat. I enjoy listening to him. Yep. Agreed. Uh, absolutely 100%. would say he's probably a little bit of an asshole, but I also don't think without, I, I think without that, he's not the guy, he's not the quarterback that he is. Yep. Completely agree. I looked up Ziegler's question, by the way, so I, I have an answer for it. So I can I can take Ryan Ziegler asks, is is the third quarter actually the worst quarter for the Packers? It seems they come out and have poor play, both offense and defense through the third. I would actually say anecdotally, I think the first quarter is where they really seem to, to struggle. It seems like they need a little little giddy up early in games. But uh, but you tell me you got the data. So um, this year, they don't really struggle in any quarter. Uh, and it is entirely based off of how much they run the ball in that quarter, which is why it looked a little rough in the third quarter this time. However, um, whenever they're passing, um, Aaron Rodgers' splits by quarter are nearly identical. Um, his um, average yards per attempt is up around 10 almost all of the time. Um, in the third quarter, he has the lowest completion percentage. In the the first quarter, he has the low. Actually, first quarter is probably legit where they struggle most. That. Um, that is his weakest statistical quarter, not by a ton, but by a little bit. He still completes 75% of his passes, just not hitting all those bombs in the first, but he's not bad. I went and looked uh, historically a little bit too, and uh, the last two years, it looks like his worst quarter is generally the second um, by, by a pretty healthy amount. Um, that actually struck me as weird. I kind of thought the third would be it too, but uh, his, his quarterback rating last year in the second quarter was 77.2. His um, adjusted oh. yards per attempt was 5.74, which it was two yards lower than the next lowest quarter. So um, it's it's the oh. first quarter by a hair this year. But um, over the last few years, it's been the second. And no idea why, but it's a, a pretty substantial difference from the rest. So there you go. That's it. It is super interesting. I, 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 I couldn't even posit a guess as to why. No, Maybe when the, the script ends and they have to sort of work yes. on the fly for a little bit before they sort of figure out exactly what they're going to do. That's before they figure it out. That's all I got. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, that's how I'd look at it too. Like that that in-between time before you get to sort of reassess at halftime or something. That's, yeah. uh, that's interesting. James L., friend of program, of course. Milwaukee's tailgate podcast contributor, of course. Are you ready to apologize to Big Bob? So I maybe did misspeak. I really thought you had been one of his early advocates, but maybe it's Matub I'm thinking of yeah, who's been just I, on the Bob Tanyan train from the word go. I think Matt's more on was more on with Bob than I was. Um, I so yes, I would like to apologize to Bob Tanyan for doubting him. He is uh, he's really come around this year. So number one in DVOA for tight ends right now, um, best in the league. So, um, but yeah, I, I was I was not a huge believer. I wasn't a huge skeptic either. I was more like let's just see what he can do. Um, never got that opportunity. Was skeptical when he couldn't beat out Jimmy Graham because Jimmy Graham sucks. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad he's turned it around. I'm happy to apologize to anybody that I doubt who turns it around. So somebody had a stat on Twitter about Jimmy Graham: the average 2.5 touchdowns per year. Ah, shoot, I don't remember what it was. It was it was remarking upon Tanya having three touchdowns in a game versus what Jimmy Graham gave the Packers and has given <laughs> to his teams over the past few years. I, w I screwed it up because I don't remember what it was, but. 
a further illustration of the Jimmy Graham effect, <laughs> which isn't which is not a positive effect. Um, no, it's not. I, I kind of didn't Jimmy score kind of a lot of touchdowns for not being very good. I kind of thought he did, but maybe I'm misremembering his brief tenure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just glad he's gone in on the, that especially on the Bears. That's all right. What are you gonna do? Let's see. He scored five touchdowns for the Packers. So, um, in right. in his two years, which is not a lot. I thought there'd be more. Well, that. Five touchdowns over two years, that's 2.5 per year. So that definitely uh, checks it. out. Yep. 0.5 per year, Bob Tanyan, three on Monday night. On Monday night. Bad. Fantastic game. Jonathan Deal says, a year and a quarter into his tenure, where is Matt LaFleur on the hierarchy of current NFL head coaches? Hmm. I mean, it's pretty high. Uh, you know, you always want to give a guy more time, see if he gets figured out. Um the luster's come off Sean McVay quite a little, quite a bit since you know we were talking about him as the great wonderkin three years ago, but I, I would say he's no lower than like the second tier of, of coaches right now. Um, I, I mean, even Belichick's I think slipped a little bit. Uh, I, Belichick, the GM, is really starting to cost Belichick the uh, the coach a little bit at this point, which you know that happens when you got both jobs. But it's it's kind of I think the sort of Belichick Andy Reid um, tier maybe maybe. Um, the good Harbaugh, I don't want to mix him up right now. The, the Baltimore Harbaugh, not the Michigan John, Harbaugh, John, John Harbaugh. Harbaugh yes. Um, and, and and then he's in the next year for sure, and he might even be in that first year. I think by the year's end, if this keeps up, he definitely will be. Oh, Shanahan too. Shanahan's great. In, in yeah, Shanahan. Um, Shanahan. So he, he's right there. And with I mean, those. I don't know how people fall. Carroll is is always, I know, very controversial. I, I don't think people. Look. What's going on with Sean McVay? Why aren't the Rams amazing? Uh, I, so it's it's simple to say that guys get figured out. But what you what you always heard with Sean McVay was this is the illusion of complexity. And as it turns out, if you do enough tape study on the illusion of complexity, you can just see through it into the simplicity that's there. They're just not that hard to defend. They run um, very con in complete contrast to Shanahan. They run everything out of 11 personnel. They always have the same personnel on the field. There's not that much diversity. And if you can run a couple just put your analytics department to do some studies on their tendencies to where they throw since they never change things up it's not that hard to stop so it kind of comes down to that uh, he's not a big fourth down aggressive guy uh i don't think their their analytics department is maybe not as good as some others and they have not been good at adjusting back at teams adjusting to them like they need to do more pre-snap motion they do a lot they need to do more and they need to mix up the personnel um, that's that's their problem. They, they are just not diverse enough. It's, it, they are behind the curve at this point. Weird. Yeah. Isn't it? Speaking of pre-snap motion, Archon, friend of the show, of course, <laughs> Archon asks, are the Packers the nerd team now? High pre-snap motion. Second most yep. aggressive fourth down team. Yep. <laughs> He's right about that. I feel like I assume they're going for it now on fourth down pretty much anywhere on the field. Same. First down pass rate, heavy play action usage. Are we in heaven? <laughs> I think so. Yes, we are. Um, they they hit, they take like every box for what anal the analytics community says to do. They also pass a ton in game neutral situations when they're not behind, which is what you should do. Um, everything that we even play action. Um, they they've used play action way more this year than they did before. They do all of the stuff that the nerds have been saying to do forever. We are in fact in heaven. This is fantastic. It uh, it was a it was a bad Brewer season, but it reminds me of when I figured out Council was smart for the first time, and uh, this this is the same. That 
I like I I love not having nothing to complain about. This is very nice. Um, I, with McCarthy, I always felt like I was nitpicking all the time. It's not healthy. Like with the Packers, I'm just praising things all the time. Like I, I'll I'll often tweet before I think they should go for it. Go for it, cowards! I'm gonna stop because the Packers always go for it every single time. They're not yeah. cowards. They're brave. They do it's the great. right thing. So um, it is it's it's fantastic. They have clearly uh, they have a good synergy with their on field and off field staff, which is what you want. You know. One of the problems with analytics nerds is they're bossy and assholes a lot of the time, and it's not good for communicating the message. You run into that on Twitter a lot. One of the good thing, one of the things that Council is good good at on the Brewers is having been a part of the front office and a player and a coach. He understands how all of these things should work together, can communicate with players, and can get whatever the front office wants across to people. And I feel like you get that with Lafleur, who who is clearly acting at the behest of the people behind the scenes on the Packers on things like going for on fourth down. Like they've clearly had like teaching moments there and back and forths and figured out, okay, all this stuff makes sense. Let's do it. And it's working. So yeah, we're in heaven. This is great. It's the golden era. If there is one area, there is one area that will dissatisfy nerds. It's the way that they've drafted. We have a draft question, sort of, from Jeffrey. Actual actual question. This feels backwards, but with the sometimes only marginal success of Lazar, Tanyan, MVS, and late-round picks prior, does the Packers front office have a backwards idea compared to convention of potential development with running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers, or is it more coincidence? It's kind of a wordy way. I think what he's asking is because, because they've gotten success from unheralded guys, you know, Lazard and Tanyan, two very good examples. Yep. Are they not wasting their draft capital on those guys and, and rather focusing their, their early round attention elsewhere, thinking they can get those guys late in the draft or as undrafted guys? I, I would say that that makes sense other than this draft they just had. They drafted a quarterback and a running back, so that probably flies into the face of it a little bit. But, you know, the way that <laughs> they certainly are getting contributions from guys that aren't – it's not the traditional draft and develop model. They're not getting guys who are – you know, straight in out of the draft, the first three guys, first three rounds are not guys that are that are contributing immediately, other than Elton Jenkins. Yeah, um, it it's a little weird. And um, I what there was this survey that uh, I think it was stats by Lopez. It might have been Hermesmeyer did of front office people asking who the most advanced front office people were. And one of the comments that came out of that was that there seems to still be a disconnect between the on-field analytics portion of the team's front office and the the draft and like position um, valuing and things like that, which strikes me as odd. Baseball was totally the other way. Like the, the player acquisition was the entire entry of um, analytics into baseball, and it's uh, the on-field stuff's just the last couple of years. Football's been the opposite, and it still kind of baffles us outside when we see running backs go high. Um, and we have all these studies that show that tight ends, receivers, O-linemen, um, it, the Packers are a bit of an exception on O-linemen. They're good at O-linemen, but usually do get more value when you pick those guys higher. So it is a little backwards to see a team that seems pretty smart, um, you know, taking a lot of the receivers in the fifth round and later and taking undrafted free agents and, you know, um, waiver wire fodder at those positions and then kind of reaching up for guys like Dylan and Deguera's his own thing. Um, so it, that is a little backwards. I'm not entirely sure what they're thinking is there or why they do that. We, I mean, we should always keep in mind, like they might just be smarter than all of us on the outside. Like they have, if they want them better numbers and better information than we do, maybe there's something to that. Um, that's entirely possible, but um, I, I can't really explain it. Like the sabermetric thing to do is not to take a bunch of receivers and tight ends late and not to take a bunch of running backs early 
and they did it, and they're good. So who am I to judge? But uh, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly not sure. Um, we have a lot of research on this, so we're pretty sure about it. Like we, you know, there's lots of data on drafts and what positions do well where. So um, if there is some secret that we're missing, it's very secret. Um, but it may just be that that they're focused on the on-field work and that they have a good, solid, long-standing draft and develop system um, with Russ Ball, uh, with leftovers from Thompson's regime, with Goody. And, you know, they do things their own way. That might just be as simple as that. I wish I knew. I wish I could be a fly on the wall. A couple more of these, but then I think we got to get out of here. Matt Van Hoovelen asks, this is a good question. What do you think the offensive ceiling would be if Boyle had to take over? In other words, how much of this is Rodgers? How much of this is Lafleur? That's a great question because in the McCarthy era, I think without Rodgers, they were completely hopeless. That if they had to bring, and we, we saw this multiple times, except for Matt Flynn occasionally, if they had to bring in a backup quarterback, it just wasn't going to work. Now, Tim Boyle, I think, is pretty bad. But um, we have seen that Lafleur has this ability to scheme guys really open. And even Tim Boyle can hit guys who are really open. So the ceiling is not high. Um, if he had to come in, and play a whole season, they, I think, would take a big step back. A lot of this is Rodgers. You still see the Rodgers magic every Sunday. But I don't think it would be hopeless. Like I, I don't think that they would just be completely terrible. I think that there would be enough guys um, out there running open, that the running game is strong enough that they'd be able to survive. So I think maybe they go 500 with Tim Boyle, maybe a little less. Than that. That's probably too high. Let's say like a 7-9, 6-10 team, which... Not bad for a Packer backup. Um, and for a couple games, I think he could they could survive and maybe eke out a couple. Um, so, you know, not bad. Could be worse. Matt he, Flynn, yes, he had some moments. But, like, 2013 was a complete and utter lucky break. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm not even going to count that necessarily as the, uh, oh, they, they still figured some things out with Matt Flynn. Yep. And the LaFleur-Shanahan. I mean, he had Shanahan, the game against the Lions. He'll yeah. always have that. The LaFleur-Shanahan tree has done well with backup quarterbacks in the past. It's something that they have been good at. And the scheme is part of that. Interesting. So, yeah. All right. Should we do, like, one more? All right. This then... question. Oh, we should do Andrews, Yeah, Christopher too. Karlecki. <laughs> Oh, okay. So Christopher Karlecki asked a couple questions, but it's the least telling accuracy-wise stat out there currently versus maybe the most fitting. Least telling um, is is just raw point totals because everybody's scoring like crazy this year. The average NFL team this year is uh, scoring 26 points a game, which is a two-point improvement over the second highest season in history, which was 1948, and two and a half points higher than the most um, the third highest, which was 2018. So um, if you're just looking at scoreboards and being like, well, that team's offense looks great. They're scoring, you know, 28 points a game, 30 points a game. Well, even the Packer 30-point performance isn't actually that impressive because almost everybody's scoring 30 points a game. So that's the one that's deceiving, and you do want to keep your eye out for the outliers there. Like a 21-point performance is bad this year. And, you know, uh, it it might seem kind of weird, but like a 45-point performance is a really impressive performance. Anything in between is not telling you probably the full story. So, um, most fitting, uh, it's four games. I'm not sure. Um, it's, it's, it's usually going to be quarterback, um, stat of some kind, either DVOA or Anya or, um, CPOE versus EPA per play. They're all pretty much the same when you get down to it. Quarterbacks, the, um, you know, the one who drives the bus for everybody and any good quarterback stats always going to be the most fitting. If you look at it right now, 
it is just the guys who are dominating. It's Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, and th- that's it. So always look for those quarterback stats. They also stabilize pretty early because quarterbacks throw so much. So there you go. All right, Andy Schaff uh, promises he's not trolling when he asks, how do you square the running backs are interchangeable narrative, the idea that uh, you know you could just find one off the street to do good things and you don't need to waste draft capital yep. on them, while also arguing that the Packers treating the wide, wide receiver position as interchangeable is a negative thing and what he means is in this game the Packers had none of they didn't have their two best receivers and they still were able to make it completely work like our receivers now disposable I mean we, we look at that as a negative but how does he how do, why is there a difference between how we look at receivers and running backs um so there there are good answers to these questions the first is you are usually only giving your running back uh, you're usually giving the ball to one running back maybe two so um if you have three running backs on the team, you don't have to use all of them. You know, you want to give some guys some rest, but mainly it's Aaron Jones. And, you know, um, if you got to go to his backup, that's only one step down. Uh, receivers are more like pitchers. Uh, if you lose Devonte Adams, you don't replace him with Alan Lazard. You replace him with garbage at the end of the roster. Now, let's call him Darius Shepard for the sake of argument. So the drop down from running back one to running back two at a position that frankly doesn't matter that much in the first place is less severe than the drop down from wide receiver one to wide receiver five. So, um, yeah, sure. ho- hope that's a legit answer and not a trolley answer as well, but that's really kind of it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, hard to come up with more receivers. Receivers are rarer too. He also asks, he also asks if we've ever seen a squib kick work. The no, Packers had another bad one last No one time. should ever squib kick. I don't know who invented it. I would love to know who invented it. It's a stupid idea. Um, it, the the alleged reason you do it is that they're harder to have big returns on squib kicks. But I've seen a ton of big returns on squib kicks. And more often than not, they just don't go far enough. And it puts the other team in a good position to like get into field goal range with one pass. So um, I, like, I'm, I am very curious as to who invented the squib kick, how it caught on, and why people think it's a good idea who still coach football. Because it is not. Especially if you have a kicker that can just kick it through the end zone or you know have a guy return it. 10 yards out of his end zone even better so nope i it, it's bad it's always bad it's a stupid idea they should get rid of the squib kick diving into first base it's, it it's is. for some reason it's caught on even though it doesn't it doesn't help you oh i think the diving into first base was debunked a little bit like it doesn't hurt you either i don't know if you do it perfectly uh, it's real faster. quick yes but you got to be perfect. perfect. Robert yeah. Kim, real quickly, he wants uh, an analytics eyeball evaluation of Billy Turner at right tackle. Should he be starting over Rick Wagner? That's a good question. I, I, I mean, it's nice to have that kind of depth out there, but bums me out after Wagner crushed it that he's not getting getting on the field. Yeah. Um. I. There. First of all, we're we're not good at the linemen. Uh, <laughs> we we have st- <laughs> st- we have stats to account for linemen. Like we have some power blocking ones um, that are dependent on running backs. But uh, I, I'm bad at line. I wish Matt was here for this question, honestly. However, I will say this. I'm pretty sure that Rick Wagner is still better. And I don't know what why he wasn't out there more. I'm still skeptical of Billy Turner and don't want him out there at right tackle that much. But you know what? They both played pretty well so far. And um, if that's the case, then I don't really care who's out there that much <laughs> as long as they're, they're okay. But Wagner, over his career, has been better when he's healthy. Um, it's just a matter of health for him. I think he's a better high ceiling player. If he's dinged, he gets bad pretty quickly. So um, Turner, I think, is not as good, but more consistent. He's better at sticking out there. Uh, Wagner's the guy you want if you can have him. So 
Yeah. All right, we gotta get. We gotta be done. Let's this be is, done. This is outrageous. All right, Jr. Any plugs? We forgot last week. Anything good? Uh, yeah, we did, but yeah, I mean, I mentioned it. The uh, the series. I, I've got. Uh, I believe on Wednesday we're going to see the arrival of the game of Week Four from the 2010 season. That was a uninspiring win against the Detroit Lions. Some people might remember that as a game where Charles Woodson returned. Uh, uh, man, now I'm not even positive. It was an interception. I think it was a fumble recovery. Took it to the end zone, dove in. It was on the cover of Sports Illustrated that week. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I remember that's that. how I remember it. Yeah, so that was uh, it was still not a very good win. They kind of had to hold on for dear life against a pretty bad Lions team. I think a Lions team that might have won three games. Sean Hill was the quarterback. Yep. That was a three-win uh, season for them. Very Lions. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the 2010 team, I like to talk about how they – all their losses were had really interesting mitigating circumstances. They were either at the last second or an overtime or Aaron Rodgers didn't play. All six losses can be categorized as one of those things. Really, like, they had a really bad stretch at the beginning of the year. They, they lose to the Bears in that penalty fest. They beat the Lions, but it's not impressive. Then they lose to Washington in overtime. Then they lose to Miami in overtime. I mean, there's no way we could have thought that was a Super Bowl team. <laughs> they were 3-3. Three and three. I mean, they just really were not clicking, and everyone was injured. I mean, everyone was injured. It was it was wild. They they absolutely had all the markings of a team that maybe backed into the playoffs, but probably not even that. And somehow they uh, somehow they put it all together with third string ways. guys with Esmond Bishop and Charlie Pepperon, like guys that you just weren't counting on at the beginning of the year, who had to play prominent roles. But uh, so that's out there. You know, obviously with the, not doing as much Brewer season being over. Um, We've got a few things cooking cooking down the cool. line, but nothing nothing concrete yet. All right. Well, that is a very joyous series as well for the most part. Even when they lose, you know what happened in the end. So it's a yep. it's you a, know it's a how the story read. ends. Always helps. Yeah. So um we you did got the, over at Acme Packing Company. Um I um Mondays always screw me Monday night games screw me up. They throw me completely off. But um I did a bunch of research on the tight end, so I'm gonna write about them. Um, and it's a bye week, so I don't have to do any team previews. So I got to figure out something to do. I might actually throw Qbops and Rops together, um, since four weeks is good enough for stats to matter, and we can start picking out uh, secret good people for next year. So uh, I'll have that up later. And uh, we, we did the season wrap up for the uh, MKA Tailgate podcast, which is out there right now. Went up today or maybe yesterday, yeah. but um, it, it was it was a fun one. Looking back, um, criticizing the offense, um, praising the pitching. Etc. All that. Such a weird season. I really hope they sign some offensive players. Um, and and just as a reminder, I don't know where it's you, coming from. Yeah, I know. I don't know where it's coming from either. Um, ho- hopefully they have some magic. But uh, but as a reminder, if you go over to the Patreon at mke uh, patreon dot com slash mke tailgate and sign up at the five dollar level or higher, that's the ball and glove level. On October fifteenth, you will be eligible to win a Dorks Value Only Analytics T-shirt. If you want to see it, I wore it for the game, and there are pictures up on my Twitter. Um, you can also buy that shirt at Acme Packing Company or Football Outsiders, who we teamed up with for this. So, um, thank you for to Aaron Schatz for his blessing in making the shirt in the first place, because it is a beautiful thing. So, that is all. Um, next week is the buy, so uh, uh, we might take a week off. We might do something. I haven't figured it out yet. We'll see how COVID bored we all are next week. Maybe we'll throw something together. <laughs> But uh, Tampa Bay after that, actually one of the best teams in the league. So it should be a uh, their first really challenging game of the year should be a fun one. So looking forward to it. Have a good night, everybody. All right. I bought Van Halen one. It was the best damn record I ever owned. Teaching why 1978.